You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Hi, good evening, church. Good evening, church. Help me, um, please help me welcome the person next to you. Just find out how they're doing, how they enjoy the holiday, and say something encouraging to them. If you don't know them, uh, introduce yourself. All right. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we ask that as we share from your word, that you will speak to our hearts. We ask for an anointing of the Holy Spirit over our hearts, over our lips, over our ears. Let no one, Lord, be the same again after sharing from your word. Uh, we thank you for that person who's come here tired, that person who's come here with a burden. Heavenly Father, we ask that you do a miracle, that you do a lifting. But you do a change in our lives tonight. We give you thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Good evening, church. All right. Um, hope you enjoyed your break. Uh, as, as, uh, I've always been concerned about the number of public holidays we take in our country. I think, I think they should be reduced by at least half. But <laughs> you think more, Abby? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, I think... But that's me. That's my personal. Um, <laughs> some of these things you don't feel until you start to pay salaries. When you're paying people salaries, every public holiday is like donating blood. Huh? But we thank God. And all things work together for, for good. <laughs> all right. Um, I want us to uh, continue our conversation uh, around Christian maturity and just, you know, laying again some of the understandings we should have as Christians. So over the last couple of, um, over the last couple of weeks, we have spoken about things like uh, righteousness. We've talked about the place of truth. We've talked about um, God. Uh, in fact, last week we talked about the force or the, or the use of righteousness. Um, I, I find that, so I was having a chat with uh, someone um, earlier on in the day, and I was explaining how that in different buildings, you know, there are different types of walls. There are different types of um, walls. And I said to her, so this is my daughter, and I said to her that in some buildings, there are load-bearing walls. And she was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, so if you take down a load-bearing wall, what happens is that it affects the integrity of the entire building. And in our faith, we, we will talk about all sorts of things. I mean, and there's a wide variety of things to consider in Scripture. We just, however, also need to be very careful that we can identify the things which are core, which are load-bearing. And so, if your understanding of something which is fundamental in Scripture is faulty, was not there. What tends to happen is that everything you then build upon it is shaky. All right. So, which is why we're spending time going through some of these things. All right. Uh, we've talked about grace. Uh, we've talked about grace and truth. Um, and you know, would would continue today talking about mercy. Okay. So the title of the message is "Reaching Mercy." I write my notes typically on Mondays. Uh, my notes for the week. 
on Mondays and I started praying through them. And it was interesting that having started writing the notes on, on mercy, I then found quite a lot of discussion. I think the maturity team, our discipleship team here at LifePoint, you know, just went on the whole thing on mercy this week. And I was re- very, very tempted to ask them to come and share in the service today. Um, but I want us to read two scriptures. Um, one from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. And then we'll jump to, we'll go backwards to Matthew 18. In fact, let us start from Matthew 18, I apologize. Matthew 18. Sorry. From verse 21. The Bible says, Then Peter came to him and said, So Matthew 18, from verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a certain man who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with patience, was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came to tell their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you also, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Okay? Um, let me tell the person next to you, tell them, please forgive me. Uh, please forgive me. Just, just, uh, yep. Okay, and then we'll just read two verses from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So we started, I think, uh, three weeks ago talking about how that our salvation is a work of grace. No one can say that they've earned their salvation. But here, before Paul begins to explain that whole salvation by grace, he talks about an operation of mercy. He says that God who is rich in mercy, in another place I think is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about God being the father of all mercy. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think from verse uh, 3 to 4, he says, he's, he says the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. Mercy, like the servant who we read his story, is, is needed by those who are guilty. Mercy is needed by those who have offended. Mercy is needed by those who cannot repay the debts that they owe. And as Christians, we must constantly understand who our father is. The Bible says he is rich in mercy. Okay, in fact, I think when I was preparing for this, it, it just I could, that phrase could not leave my heart. In fact, at the point I kept on saying, if our father is rich in mercy, we as born-again children cannot be poor in mercy. In fact, one scripture would say that those who have received mercy must also show themselves merciful. How do people who recognize in Christ Jesus we receive the mercy of God how do we rec- how do people who recognize that they have received the mercy of God how do they behave let me start one of them is gratitude one of them is thanksgiving gratis so I, I I think the more I so the more I look at God's word and just consider our faith over the last couple of weeks I realize that uh, thanksgiving is one of the signs that you are maturing as a Christian. Thanksgiving, gratitude is one of the signs that we are maturing as Christians. Because what happens is the the less we look on ourselves, the less we look at our past, the less we look at the things we do not think or we think we do not have and the more we look at God and the finished work on the cross, the more gratitude comes out of our lives. I suspect, in fact, I was saying to one of the pastors, I think yesterday, that we should possibly do a whole teaching series on gratitude. This servant that we read his story in Matthew 18 has just been forgiven a massive debt. The Bible says he owed 10,000 talents. He, in turn, was owed a hundred denarii. Okay. He owed a hundred thousand talents and was owed a lower amount. But no sooner had he left the presence of the king and then he totally forgets the magnitude of the debt that has been paid on his behalf. 
I mean, if you're like me, every now, and, every now and then you look at the people of Israel and you're like, ah, these guys are jokers. No, all of them. Those, those, uh, how? And you say, ah, now, no. If I'm the one that God took through the Red Sea, as in, we're just coming now. Follow me and I, we get to Atlantic Ocean there and then it opens. Ha! I will serve him forever. Ever. There's no, that's it. Abi? And then, as we were going, you we now saw the enemies coming behind. And we were scared. But God said, don't worry, I've got this. He waits for us to finish, then drowns our enemies in front of us. Ha! When we come out, you know, surely we should be eternally grateful. But we are shocked. We are shocked. We are like this student of Israel. No. And then, you know, all the things they saw in Egypt. And then they saw things, you know, just imagine hamburgers dropping down from the sky. Hey. How you even run to eat it? You, you're in reverence as you ate it. But we're very fast to tell the guys, my goodness, you guys are carnal, hell-bound people, heartless. But sometimes we forget the mercy that has been shown to us. I forget. Sometimes when I'm upset about how my new car has not arrived or my new this is not there or how it just seems like the new opportunity I've been waiting for has, it's just so slow in showing up we forget the mercy of God I think it's somewhere in Jonah it says those who forsake their mercies it says they, how does it put it, it says those who observe lying vanities. It says they forsake their own mercy. So people who are guilty. We, we are guilty. And we have then been shown great mercy. The Bible says God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. May I say tonight, I don't know. And it's interesting that I had to say, preach, teach about this today. But I don't know who is here, who is listening that is still trying to settle accounts with God. There is still something that you think is too big for God to sort out. The Bible says he's the father of all mercies. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, it says the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is our God. Exodus chapter 34. That is our God. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, he says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. Deuteronomy 7, 9. He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So maturing Christians must experience the wealth of God's mercy. A Christian will not go far in their walk with God if they carry burdens that have not been loosened by mercy. 
they won't go far. When I was teaching on Sunday, you know, that scripture where Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice. It's amazing how the voice of a stranger has become louder. It's amazing how that with technology, and I'm not bashing technology, I love technology, but with technology, the speed with which the voice of the stranger comes through is faster. So offenders are typically those who require mercy. The guilty, the condemned, the helpless, those who make a mistake, those who have failed before. And it is, it is, I'm going to speak about our response to the mercy of God, but we, we must be, it must be something that is deeply seated in our hearts. I have received mercy. I have. If it was not for God's mercy, I should not be here. I should not be here. And God loves mercy. So, on Sunday, when we're talking about love, one of the things we highlighted that people who are maturing in Christ will do, we say they constantly practice forgiveness. So that having received mercy... You know, we then begin to even dispense that same mercy. He will say to Abraham, I will bless you so that you would be a blessing. There are very few things, I don't know, and I'm being cautious when I say this, but God gives you that end with you. There are very few things. When he gives you joy, it is so that you can go and give someone else the joy also. The Bible says, He will comfort us in all our tribulations so that we can comfort others. He would free us so we can free others. He would bless us so we can bless others. And then he would show us mercy so we in turn can show others mercy. But what happens very often is that Christians forget that they have received mercy. So as we speak about the grace of God, And how beautiful we are. And how we don't smoke anymore. How we don't drink anymore. We don't sleep with women anymore. We don't do this anymore. As if the Bible says in Ephesians 2. That it is not of works. Lest any man should boast. But that having received mercy. Having like the servant. Being the one who seen 10,000 talents has been forgiven. What do we then do? To the people who owe a hundred denarii. The Bible says in one of the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the merciful. It says, For they shall obtain mercy. So forgiveness. Forgiveness. We forgive by faith, I said on Sunday. We forgive from the heart. We forgive like Jesus asked us to forgive. That forgiveness does not always heal the pain that has been caused, but it sure gets you on the path of healing. It prevents you from inheriting another man's grievance. And I, and I said it on Sunday, and I repeat it again today, that we must prayerfully consider our hearts and our lives. We have received mercy. 
we have received mercy. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 2. I read the Amplified Translation. It says they brought to him a man who was paralyzed. Lying on a stretcher. Bible says, seeing their active faith springing from confidence in him. I'm reading Amplified. Jesus said to the paralytic, do not be afraid, son. Your sins are forgiven. The penalty is paid. The guilt removed. And you are declared to be in right standing with God. And then he continues the conversation with the Pharisees, which is easier. To say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk. That our forgiveness is an act of mercy. I don't, so it's preparing for this, that phrase, your sins are forgiven, is something that we should put on a t-shirt. Say my sins are forgiven. It's something we should be telling people because it is at the very core of the gospel. Tell the person next to you, tell them your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. If they ask you which of them, tell them all, all of them, all your plenty sins, all forgiven, all of them. All of them. <laughs> Someone is calling somebody he's known for a long time. Like, all your sins, very plenty. If we have received mercy, what kind of people must we be? <sighs> so people who are maturing in the faith. Understand that the gospel is at the very heart of it is restoration. It's about bringing people back to God. But the, the, the focus of our gospel, of the good news that we've been asked to preach, is not condemnation. It's not punishment. It's not, ah, guys, God is about to end this thing. This is it. He's finishing everything. He's going to snap his finger. It's all coming down now. If you don't step out, if you don't come now, yeah, well, just it's because I like you. I'm just warning you. I can see the thing around your head, you know. But are we speaking of the mercy of God? If and imagine this, someone here, if you owed a debt, let's say you owed ten million naira, and then you got a text the next morning. Say, no, we've just thought about it and we really like you. Young man, you're going places. Debt is forgiven. <laughs> someone, that's not even, someone who doesn't even owe the debt yet, you are rejoicing in that testimony. You're like, yes, yes. But you can feel the joy of that already. So let's even say it was a hundred million naira. <laughs> you know, you just come out of your house and for no reason, you're just laughing on the road. You're greeting people. We have received mercy for something that money could never have paid for. And so, we understand the gospel is really about restoration. James 2, he says that mercy trumps over judgment. In Galatians 6, verse 1 to 2, I've been quoting this scripture a lot in the last couple of months. He says, if any of you is overtaken in a fault, how, how do people who are more spiritual, we need to fix this. Okay, you can do it in NKJ, but we need to fix this screen. Okay, how do people who are more spiritual, how do people who are maturing, right, how, how do they act? He says, brethren, if 
a man is overtaken in any trespass. Let me ask the person next to you, are you overtaken? Are you overtaken? Are, over, are you overtaken? Yeah? It says, you who are spiritual. Okay? Some translations will say, you who are mature. Right? It says, restore such a one in the spirit. This translation is of gentleness. Yeah? Of gentleness. Do you know what the spirit of gentleness is? Because I, to be honest with you, when people do stuff that is not right, yeah, you want to feel indignation on behalf of God. Because we all come to the same. We all, so, I don't understand. We come to church on Sunday. We're all trying to worship God. But no wonder sometimes the worship is not lifting because you are the one who is spoiling the worship. You are the one. No wonder the worship, sometimes we're trying to get the presence of God here. You are the one. You are the reason. You are smelling of weed. You really should go and straighten out your life with God, though. Because you cannot hold on our worship. But when we come back, I felt it. No, I felt it. I don't, I do. <laughs> Tell someone, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. That is how mature Christians act towards people who overtake it. It says, in the spirit of gentleness. It says, restore such a one. Not condemn them. He says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He says, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have received mercy. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. All hundred thousand of them are forgiven. What manner of person ought we to be? What manner of people ought we to be? Galatians 6, 1, it says, we, when we see people who are overtaken in sin, now, when, the, when you say you overtake something, it means that it was coming from behind, gradually, gradually, you know, the guy was in front, then it, got, it caught up with him, and he passed him. So even his future <laughs> is sinful. But they credited some in advance for him. How do we who have received mercy act towards people who are overtaken in sin? The spirit of gentleness. So you are in church. And then you get a text from Demilade. Ah, saying, ah, Michael. Guy that's sitting beside you, that lady sitting beside you. I've seen her at Adola Adeko at night. Oh. <laughs> you now notice, ah, no wonder her shirt is really, her skirt is shiny black. And then when P.I. said, Tell your neighbor I love you, the way she told me, I love you, it was, <laughs> it was a bit tricky. How do we act? When we know that people are overtaken in sin. We who have received mercy. We who have received mercy. We who have received mercy. Give mercy freely. Now I'll say this. Correction is not the same thing as condemnation. 
In Hebrews, the Bible says that the people who God does not correct are not his children. Jesus did not stop from telling people if this was sinful or not. He would say, stop sinning. Nowadays, we have become politically correct and can no longer say, chief, this thing is not right. But when you say it, say you are judging. The Bible says, do not judge. Don't judge. If you're in a bus, the guy is driving, and you can see that he has left his lane. He's about to join people on the other side. Do you tell people, the, Don't, let's not judge him, let's not judge him. You slap him, okay? <laughs> you want to kill us? Let us come down first. Correction, not condemnation. One powerful thing about mercy is its protective nature. Its protective nature. In John chapter 8, they bring a woman to Jesus. They say she's been caught doing something wrong. She's been caught in adultery. They don't bring her to Jesus to say that they, you know, just asking what they, what they should do. No. They've come with stones. They've come ready to kill her. The discussion Jesus has with that woman is, is just an, is a discussion of mercy. He says to her at the end of the whole thing, he says, where are those who condemn you? He says, they've gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus literally stands before or between those who seek to destroy her and herself. Mercy preserves. So when the Bible says that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. There's a new, there's a meaning there. There's salt preserves. So there are times when God says to Moses, I am going to destroy this people. And Moses literally, he stands between people and the wrath of God. And before we got saved, a lot of us, if not for the mercy of God, I mean, there were things you did, you, you had, you behaved in a totally nonsensical manner. And you know it, I know it, we all know it. The bottles of beer that you drank, you should have been dead by now. That night when you and your friends jumped on the road and said, we're, we're going to race to Ife. And of course, you were heading towards the other direction because you were all drunk and high. You woke up somewhere. How did we get here? We don't know. Where's the car? We don't know. It was the mercy of God. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, Through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. It was the mercy of God that kept us until we found grace. 
It was the mercy of, and there's the mercy of God that keeps keeping us. And so Jesus stands between that woman and sure death. Because they came with evidence, they came with stones, they came with ready hearts. And in their hearts, they would have been doing a righteous thing. So the woman was dead. Mature Christians understand the protective nature of mercy. That there are people we need to forgive, to keep them alive so they can have, for lack of a better word, encounters with the grace of God. That there are people who, in prayer, in intercession, we need to be calling the mercy of God. God, the first scripture I read, says God is rich in mercy. He says we are the salt of the earth. We are the reason that certain things, he says the whole of creation, is as in the pains of childbirth. It's a, they say, look, it's things are, which is why sometimes you come out to Lagos and we're hot like Dubai. Like, what's happening here? Why? It's not us. Even the whole, the earth itself is like, man, I'm done with these guys. God, they're driving. Let's end it now. God is like, chill, relax, relax. Sometimes they watch our vexes. Mercy. That the salt of the earth keeps alive and useful. That mercy refuses for darkness to overrun the earth. And so Christians who are becoming mature understand that there are places where mercy is extremely needed in this world. I was talking on Sunday, I think it was in the evening service, and I said that there's a wave of revival that will come upon countries, upon families, upon people in the next coming years that will be driven by acts of love, strange acts of love. That people who are maturing as Christians must let God do through them acts of love that are not rational. Does not mean, so I'm not saying, instead of buying her 12 roses, you buy her 14. No, that's your personal business. No. But I'm saying if you, where you would take that which is ordinarily yours, precious to you, your best jacket. Your nicest watch, your newest iPhone, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will say, Here, I notice that you do not have, or I notice that yours is old, or I notice that the last time I wore mine, you were just looking at it throughout. So it's like, save you from greed. Here. <laughs> or I think, I think you might like it better. Mercy. Who would forgive debts? Who will take on a burden that was not theirs? Who would say on behalf of another person, like the Samaritan, look, treat him and if there are any expenses, put it on my account. 
who would build bridges that grace will then work on. Strange acts of mercy that will precede great revivals. Intercessions, guys. There are people who will not, who cannot die yet. And I'm not talking about all that, let my enemies live long and see that I'll prosper. Not that all that rubbish. It's for you and your haters can form a committee on the other side. But we're saying people who you kneel down before God and say, Lord, preserve their lives. I know they are intentionally reckless now. I know they've refused love. I know they're still battling with pain, but Lord, you had mercy on me. Please have mercy on this person too. When Jesus was born, take him to the temple. There are people there who have been praying. So one of the guys says, oh, now I can go to God. The other woman, the Bible says, Anna says she's been there for years, fasting and praying. Preservation. Our prisons in Nigeria. I don't know what the actual statistics are, but our prisons are full of people who whose only crime is that they are poor. That's the truth. And a huge number of those people, they have, they shouldn't be there in the first place. They don't even, some of those guys have been there because they don't have a lawyer. So, I mean, we have so many lawyers in church. I'm like, can you guys, I don't know what you guys need to do, but can we change our legal system? It might take 10 years. Can we change our prison system? Can we intervene in the short term and in the long term? Can we say that in our generation this will happen? Mercy refuses to focus on the newest week. I'm sorry, I just have to go to the week, please. Or the newest this or the newest that. An outpouring of mercy by the church. Sometimes it starts with your neighbor. It's by the mercy of God that we're not consumed. And and it's interesting that even those of us who have then received the grace of God, but as we're in the brokenness of this world, can still plead the mercy of God over our lives. And a thousand will fall by our left and ten thousand by our right, but that evil will not come near our dwelling place. Um, I want us to pray tonight, but you see, when, when they built the tabernacle of old, there was something called the mercy seat. I think if you read Exodus chapter 25, you will find that when God designs the whole thing, and God, God is, God likes to put on a show. God likes to get attention. So he, he, he would, you, know, you should read how he describes the tabernacle. And then when he says, he says there is a mercy seat. There is this place where, where once a year, you know, when an atonement sacrifice has been done, it kind of covers the people, it preserves them for another year. People who are maturing do not make light of the mercy of God. 
we're careful to condemn others. We will correct, we would encourage, we would tell people the truth. There are people who are continuing in certain parts in life at the moment simply because nobody around them has been bold enough to say to them, look, chap, this thing you're doing from God's word doesn't make sense. They might stop talking to you for a month. Hey, tough luck. But would we as church ensure that the mercy seat is still relevant, is still accessible, is still somewhere that people can find? Who has? And I, and I, there's a message I, yeah, okay, let me not go there. Can we, guys, step out of our comfort zones? Who has come to God because of me over the last three years? Who has who has come to God? Who has who has said, "Look, I'm," and this is not who has come to church? Who has gone to a church? Who has opened the Bible because of me? Who have I shared my story with? Some of us come to church and we we are we package badly. The day pastor uses song example that the band song. Say who is the band? Never heard of him before in my life. Club. What is club? And you know all the words, but. But will you sometimes sit people down and tell them who you are? Tell them who you were, rather. Where you've been. And how the mercy of God has kept you. Will you have mercy on people? Some people are one mercy act away from a miracle. And yet we do not show mercy just because of the miracle, no. David and his men come back. The town is burning. Kids are away. Wives have been taken. God said, go and find your stuff. They're finding their stuff. On the way, they find an Egyptian servant who has taken ill and was left for dead. They feed the man. They revive the man. He gives them directions to where their wives and children are. Being born again is an amazing experience, guys. Following Jesus is an amazing experience. When they ask the question, you know me, I'm just, I've almost finished, I've finished to you, me, I'm just waiting for you. You know, they ask the question, where is Jesus? But here we say he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That is true. But he also lives in us. And I was sharing revelation here, relax now. <laughs> just one, this one. When I land on this one, you'll start, okay? did you hear what I was saying? That was like a deep stuff. Oh, follow me. Alright, but, but when they say where is Jesus, he's sitting right hand of the Father, but honestly, he lives in Lekki. It's just that the people where he lives in Lekki, they disguise it. Don't want anybody to know. He lives in Oniru. 
Ekbe. Ojota. He lives all around. In life point. God bless you. See, I've not finished it, but they don't sing. So you know something you have something. <laughs> Our Father, we thank you. We give you all praise. Would you please pray? Would you pray over the person next to you? I don't know who they are. You know, you can hold their hands if they are agreeable, but would you pray that there will be an outflow of the mercy of God over their lives and through their lives? Over their lives. It says it's because of the mercy of God that we are not consumed. It says we can come with boldness before God's throne to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the times of need. That we will have received mercy. Would you pray over their lives? I just feel that there is an out an outflow. There is there is the mercy of God. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Let's pray that the riches of his mercy will be seen over the lives of his people, over their families, over their families. When, when the angel of death will come, there was a mercy sign on the lintels, on the lamppost, and, and so he could not cross over. Would you pray of them for the mercy of God, that their lives will be preserved, that their lives will be kept, that they will always be in a place where they can encounter God. Lord, we have received your mercy. We are still receiving your mercy. Would you pray that through their lives that God will do strange acts of mercy, strange acts of mercy, that He will give voice to those who are voiceless, that He will give justice to those who are downtrodden. They will share the gospel with those who are who are on the path for destruction. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.